Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my little crispy pan of chocolate with a squidgy little tasty oozing filling. Can't believe we're on episode five. By now, you should know where I am, nestled away in the groin of Canvey in the studio. Milky's back there with the Mars milkshake and a bag of penny sweets. Milky, can you try and eat them one at a time? I know they're tasty, but they ain't going nowhere. I'm not doing the Heimlich again today, I ain't got the bleeding energy. I'm still trying to unpick that cola bottle from the living room ceiling from the last time I saved your life. Now, we've been teasing you with this song as our intro for the past couple of episodes, and it's the beautiful song, Duchess. Again, available to download now on all those platforms and whatnot. And I'm sure you know, after I've interviewed my wonderful heavenly guest, you can hear me tell you a story about this song and why I wrote it. And then you can download and stream it in all its glory. I tell you, it's a deal of the century for you locks. Apparently, I get about 15p every 10 years what it's been playing. So that's just the way of the modern music world. Now, I've used the song Duchess today because I want to talk to you about all the women in our lives who are strong and courageous and have a huge influence on us. And do you know what? Probably more than they'll ever know. My guest today is a bit of a duchess to me. Fighting the good fight out there, no matter how many punches they get thrown, they're still a tower of strength. Not only that, after having read their book, there's been a duchess or two in their lives that have inspired them to be a person they are today. They're a non-binary Muslim drag queen, a writer, performer, filmmaker... Some might even say talent on legs. Welcome to my show, the gorgeous, the talented, the beautiful Amru Al-Kadi. Hello, my gorgeous babe. Hey, sweetheart. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Did you like it? Oh, I thought it was so poetic. Beautiful. Now, your book, Life as a Unicorn, A Journey from Shame to Pride and Everything in Between. Honestly, I enjoyed it so much. I learned so much. And I urge anyone out there, to go out and read it because it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for reading it. Oh, I listen, that means a lot to I listen me. to it. I ain't going to oh, lie. Well, thank you. I ain't anyway. going to lie. I listen to it. Oh, I, I listen to all those books and I love them all. And when I said there about, about women and them being a huge impact in your life, you speak ever so gorgeously in your book about your mother and all the Middle Eastern women chatting in the room and they're all having mm. gorgeous conversations and you're on the outside looking in and how different it was to the world of all the men and they're sat around talking. And it struck me, it was ever so beautiful how women in your life have been, well, they've always been something you've been drawn to, haven't they? And they've been ever, mm. they've been ever so inspiring. Yeah, they have. When it comes to my mother, I mean, she married my dad when she was 19 and sort of really played by the rules. But for her as someone who didn't really have much kind of like economic or social privilege, because, you know, she was sort of like a woman and she was supposed to have the domestic role. Her main source of empowerment came with clothing and makeup. And interestingly, like it was never really clothing or makeup for male pleasure. Like it was not to go out and meet men, you know, there, there were no men there. It was just the woman wearing 
the most extravagant clothes and the most sort of over the top makeup almost for their own enjoyment and and to kind of be expressive just with the other woman so I thought that was kind of neat like mm. growing up seeing that kind of femininity which isn't a kind of hyper femininity we associate hyper femininity I think in the west as a thing that's like all for male consumption but actually like my access point to it growing up was like it was such a tool of empowerment for my mom mm. and expression and so I used to just watch her treat every kind of living room like you know it was like a catwalk really I mean she was so that was her main form of expression she had she had so many limitations in her life imposed on her by men but clothing and makeup was her transgression and we it's mine as well, I think. Which is why when when she started to sort of see what I was doing with drag and stuff and she had such a kind of huge, you know, problem with it, I think I think she was almost mad that me, someone who like in her eyes is a man, was doing these hyper feminine things and really enjoying it, whereas for her it was the only thing she had. And so when my mum and I had it out after a long separation, you know, because all in my life, it was always, you know, Amru, you're the cause of my unhappiness. You're causing all this family drama. You're causing all this drama for your dad. It's all you, you, you. So I only really ever thought it as this thing that I was doing that was causing problems for her. And when I finally was like, you know, what upsets you so much about me being a drag queen? You know, she just, she said, something that was like for all my life being a woman has meant that I've had to know my place and you dress up as one and it brings you so much empowerment and it, it why would you choose to do that and I think for her she, there was a lot of envy in the fact that she's never really been able to live her own choices and I personally think my mom would have wanted to be an actress like because she's very funny she's a real performer she can really tell an anecdote I mean oh I love her. I've never met her. I think she's an icon. Everyone who reads the book loves oh her. Oh, my God, I adore her. She's like a villain, but the hero, oh, I'm taken. She needs a statue, really? some, she needs a statue somewhere. W were you mad at her in the book or were you sort of enraptured well, with her? I think I was, in the book the whole time I was kind of, I was angry at everyone because they, it's so much about you being a kind, this kind of other, cat, mm. like you're an otherness in there and you're trying to, fit in no matter what and you like, I felt for you more than anything that you were constantly being bashed into some kind of person or being and but it was self-inflicted don't get me wrong like you were trying to fit in you were trying to mm. find your place and a lot of the time I felt frustrated for you and I felt sorry for you but because you kept coming up all this rubbish and you kept growing you kept changing and weirdly in a way you found dressing you know as your mother is so like for, as escape for you as an empowering mm. thing do you know what I mean so I felt annoyed that she couldn't see you for your glory. Do you know what mm. I mean? In a way. I didn't feel angry. I felt angry at the world because we can't move on and accept people through there. And there's all these things getting in the way. And that annoyed me. But I wasn't annoyed at her per se, you know. Yeah, I think that is like the main thing that I realised writing it and also just having had a more of a resolution with my mum is that her and I are both kind of victims to the same structures of oppression and for her, because she's so stuck in them, you know, because she's never really questioned them, it's almost too late for her to sort of go, oh, my God, the whole system's flawed. So, so much of it was directed at me because I think I was amplifying a lot of the problems with the system that she refused to see. So I think for her, it was like, 
you're breaking by the rules and you're happy to an extent you're living an autonomous life you you know you're making your own career you're supporting yourself financially and you're doing all these things that we were all told you shouldn't do and everyone else is playing by the rules you know i've got a twin brother who's really playing by the rules and and all of them are a little bit sort of stuck i i think mm. and my mum is stuck yeah and like and so i think there was a lot of frustration that she hasn't processed that was much easier to just throw onto me than it was on everything else if that makes sense it's always yeah. easier to get mad at one person isn't but it but it's weird that i feel like that's a bit of a reflection on the world at the minute and i see it actually in your social media and cuz you're very much i think what your mum thinks about you rebelling and trying to well without without any kind of worry trying to inf- and i say inflict because that's the way it feels to people a change and a new perspective and i mm-hmm. think that's happening across the world and there's a lot of resistance Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. and I worry about you because you're out there on your social media doing mm. a tweet, doing a gram, all that. But <laughs> you get a lot of kickback on that. You get a lot of people saying some horrible things, and I see it and I worry for you, Amru. I do because some people they can't handle it, and I, I think you can, I'm sure. But I worry because they go mad on there, they're evil. Thankfully, I've got the flick to have a nice cup of hot chai oh yeah whenever i get too many death threats <laughs> um but it does happen yeah. doesn't it they they yeah non-stop i mean the thing is is like i mean it's it's so part of the background of my life now that i actually don't think about it too much i mean there's this line in angels in america near the end of the second act where harper says something like in this world there is a kind of painful progress and i really do pr- progress doesn't really happen in a straight line it's, and and it does go in the right direction so i think like the past 4 years with what's happened politically can seem like we've gone so backwards but maybe it's just a little blip and then we're going to return to the right path and and that's kind of how i see a lot of the resistance because i think what happens is i have a lot of empathy for everyone i mean we, people say this is my major problem that like i i, mean, I feel sorry for murderers who go to life in prison i mean i just i just i can feel empathy for anyone to the point that sometimes i get myself into trouble so when i get that kind of violence um online or so, you know very rarely on the street but it has happened it obviously upsets me but there is a bit of me that thinks my god you've got all this rage that's um happening because of this system that's failing you and it's not entirely your fault that you know our media and our government are propagating these narratives that makes it seem that i'm the culprit when really they're the culprit and i have empathy for that no, situation that's the way you got to look at it otherwise you ain't we ain't never going to move on everyone needs to be a bit understanding about what everyone else is going through i agree with you Amber. i think it's a gorgeous idea I need to do it myself because half the pick characters in your book, I wanted to give them a good wallop. I wanted to hunt them down. I wanted to hunt them down and give them, a, put them over my knee and give them a bleeding good seeing to. I wouldn't do that because I don't condone violence myself. But I agree with what you're saying. There's change coming and mm. I, it's been happening for a little while now and everyone's getting a bit, all those old people are all twisted and they've had it their way for so long. They're kicking off. They ain't going to let it go without a fight. Gen Z are not messing around. I'll tell you that. Like No. They make me feel like a Kath Kitson, normcore woman, Gen Z. Like, yeah. I talk to some of Gen Z on Tinder and stuff. They are radical. They are coming to tear down the system. Oh, my God. If they make you feel like Kath Kitson, God, what's that mean? 
Yeah, I know. I'm an Argos catalog or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're oh my Katie life. Hopkins, I'm kidding. I'm Katie Hopkins. <laughs> <laughs> well, God, I hope not. That'd be horrible. What a reality if I just icon. pulled... Imagine if I pulled my mask off now and it was Katie Hopkins under here. God, you didn't sign up to that, did you? <laughs> but it, it, with your mum and your, and your dad, it must have been confusing because I feel like they gave you a bit of mixed signals throughout all of your life because I feel like they were kind of rooting for you in some way, but then also they'd have this own conflict, this inner conflict with themselves. And it is a bit like those people are, you see online who are like, they're giving someone grief, but at the same time, they're like, oh, I kind of like, you know, wear that pink scarf. And you're like, oh, that was that gorgeous thing where your mum's, you catch your mum putting the scarf on. She's like, oh, this is gorgeous. I'll have a little, yeah. I wouldn't mind a little go on this myself. And yeah, then, but at the same time, she's annoyed at you because that old understanding of the way things have got to be, she's still clinging on to it so desperate. I'm really glad you picked up that moment. That was actually one of my favourite bits to write. I think the confusion comes, particularly with my mum, really, but it's like, internally and emotionally she probably really does like you know I always think if she could let go of a lot of shit she would be able to come to a drag show and have my, one of my shows and have the best time because yeah. it's so it's so uh, her language and it's so kind of just her personality um but all these structures that she's been raised in of what men should do and women should do and what the Quran says and all that kind of stuff means that for her to come and enjoy it would mean she would almost have to sort of rethink her entire system. And I think definitely, you know, she's in her 50s now. And when you get older, I imagine maybe you get more and more stubborn that you've made the right decision because it's hard to sort of, you know, I think in your 20s, you can be like, ooh, actually, I've had a change of politics or whatever. But personally, I've noticed that, you know, people tend to double down a little bit more. And I think for my mum to sort of just say oh actually this entire way that I've been living my life I'm going to change now that's almost like an existential crisis because that's like beginning again mm -hmm. and you've made all these decisions that have informed the way that you're living but I can see the glimmer in my mum's eyes you know she she misses me so much and she always messages with you know images of what she's wearing and and I think part of the way that I've kind of forgiven her is like I don't think she's homophobic. I think she actually really enjoys me, but the society she's living in is, yeah. and she's so warped by that society that she doesn't know that's, that's the only choice that she has. But I see it like I've got a twin brother and, you know, she gets on with him, but like she always wants me to compliment her makeup. Like if I don't, she'll be upset. And that's yeah. like a little sort of like... Oh, wink, it's gorgeous. Wink, isn't it? Oh, I love it. Like, I could feel the little dance between you the whole way through it. And I feel like it was bo like you're, it's born of her, you know. How could she not love that, seeing the impact you've had on something that's so popular and gorgeous? Like, how could you not embrace that and feel, well, feel touched by it? She'd love it. I know she would. It's, but it's frustrating. But then, you know, and something that came to me throughout the book as well is the violence of religion. You know, mm. how violent religion is and how you were all these horrible imagery. You know, it's like religion and the way they enforce the ideology of religion is so aggressive and, mm. and violent. And I know because Ron, you know, my, my lovely partner, Ron, he was brought up Catholic. Oh, my goodness. me, He can't be left in a room on his own because he thinks someone's watching him. Really? So as a kiddie wink, he was brought up with a big old man hanging on a cross with loads of arrows hanging out of him and thorns around his head. And he was told that he died for his sake. Oh my mm. God, try telling that to a kiddie wink. They go bleeding. It's not right. 
you know what yeah. I mean? I can feel the violence in the book the whole way too. It's scaring you. Religion in a way scares you. In terms of religion, I'm going to say, you know, with Islam, there's good and bad. So well, I want to talk about the bad, but I'll, I'll start a bit with the good because there's so much about um, watching your sins in Islam. I mean, I know it's the same in Catholicism, but in Islam, it's very like there's no confession. Um, um, that where you can go to Hajj in Mecca, which is like, gets rid of all your sins but that's sort of a huge you know you can't do it once a week basically but um and and every time you commit a sin you get bad points on your left shoulder and every time you do good deeds you get good points on your right sins happening literally i've probably sinned about 20 times already during this podcast if i were to eat something and say think doesn't taste very good that's a sin everything's a sin right and good deeds really hard to do like good sin a good deed would be like you know, made someone's week, which is actually quite hard to do when you're age seven. I mean, how can you make anyone's week? Yeah, um, tricky. Any, tricky, tricky stuff. So, um, but because of that kind of constantly being aware of sin, what I think I got that was good from it was empathy and compassion and, and like generosity, like you, like Islam, and we'll talk about the darker stuff, but, you know, a huge tenant of Islam is like, compassion and kindness and doing good deeds for other people and so it's why a lot of islamic scholars that i do like and pretty much all of them are socialist and a lot of socialists there's a lot of muslims in the socialist movement in the uk and i think it comes from the this dedication to doing good deeds all the time and not thinking about yourself you know greed is such a sin in islam so in terms of my politics of like, you know, I've been fortunate to, to, you know, if I've made money, you know, I get huge pangs of guilt and give so much of it away. And it's like, and I think that comes from Islam. And um, so those, those parts of Islam of, of compassion and, and giving and not, and then doing good deeds for other people have really informed my kind of more socialist politics in a way that I really appreciate. But the double-edged sword of it is, is, if you had more sins on your left shoulder than good deeds on your right by the time that you died in Islam, you would go to hell. And because there's no, um, you can't have paintings or any representation in Islam. So it's all just text. So what you're supposed to do is like close your eyes and imagine the text, which is, you know, with, you know, how kind of vivid a child's imagination is. And I mean, and, and this is age seven. And I mean, we're talking like, you know, on judgment day, you'll be lying in your grave and then um, you'll, you know, your grave will be ripped open. Your corpse will go all the way up to purgatory. Allah will weigh up all your sins and good deeds in front of everybody, you know. And if you have more sins, that's an extra eternity in hell where you'll drink boiling water. You'll eat fruits that will rip up your insides. You'll get, I mean, oh like so vivid. Blimey. And that. I think when you're seven, you've got plastic, you've got such a neuroplastic brain, your brain's just not fully formed. So I feel a lot of anger and sadness that um, my brain actually sort of formed and developed, but also around those ideas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because your imagination's so ripe when you're young, you really feel it, don't you? It's not just like you're being told this little story. You're really... You feel no, those you believe, things. Yeah, it becomes you believe Santa's real. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And so, like, that 
has had a hugely negative effect on my life. I mean, till this day, I have nightmares and 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 that sort of sense of fear and violence or fear of violence permeates everything I do. Like it comes up in sex, it comes up in, in ev really everything. I feel like constantly in the back of my head, I'm worried about going to hell, even though, you know, I don't really believe in it as much now. Like I'm just worried about it. And it, and it, and, it, and it, that fear of going to hell has made me like a really guilty and anxious person. You know, like if I was to, you know, go for a drink with someone, I'll usually come home and be like, did I ask them enough questions about them? Oh God, oh God. And that would keep me up all night. And, you know, that still happens. So yeah. it's had a lot of negative effects on my mental health, but it's also given me a lot of drive because I think basically from age seven, I lost my childhood, but it was also like, right, I'm on a mission to not go to hell. And so I just worked really hard. Yeah. It's funny as well. that, And I don't want to be, I don't want us to come across on here like, oh, we're anti-religion because we're definitely not. And I know that a lot of queer people believe in God and they have a lovely relationship with this higher, gorgeous power. So don't let, don't, I don't want any listeners to think that we're thinking, we're saying anything negative about religion or spirituality because I believe in it. And I think it's a good thing. It brings people a lot of joy and it's gorgeous. Mm. Now, another thing that I got from your book is, you you've you've definitely danced you've danced in the arena of privilege let's put yes. it that way do you know what i mean you spent a lot of your time milling around in well you went to eton didn't you for and two years you, yeah and then you went to oxford cambridge cambridge i'll get the two mixed up to me they're the same now all those little bell ends in eton mm -hmm. <laughs> they're the ones i want to track down and give them a good wallop because they're <laughs> nasty buggers and they to are. think as well people what educated in those places they're, they're strange places i know it's a big debate at the minute what was all the a-level results whilst we're having this this we're recording this podcast a lot of unfairness and about the privileges some people get and how they're, they're elevated based on postcode and that's an important thing but the the ethos of that school and the way you describe it in the book and i know a lot of it's not all bad and there was gorgeous people there that had a good influence on you and all that malarkey but it's interesting isn't it to think that that environment is very responsible for the people who end up leading our country. You know, mm. people in charge all over the world, the ones that go to private schools. and But it's away from your family and you're very much encouraged in those environments to aim high and be the best. And I wonder what kind of impact that has on the world and the way the world's constructed because those people what are put in those places. You know what mm. I mean, Amber? What's your thought on that? I mean, yeah, what I'll say is like, I mean, I went to like a pretty standard school until I was 15. And then I was having such a hard time at home that I basically was like, right, I need to go to a boarding school. And so I applied for this. They do these things called six form scholarships at Eton, where they take mm. like six and they give them scholarships. And I wanted to go there because I really did think it would be the opposite of Islam. I mean, what if what is the opposite of Islam? Eton College, in my opinion. <laughs> and um, and um, and I just and I was I hated my parents so much at that point, and I hated my family and 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 my culture and my faith that I actually was like, great, I want to aspire to the British aristocracy because that's the opposite. And I really did want to wear the tailcoats mm. and. Um, you know, go around sort of saying, hello, governors, how you doing, molasses? And, you know, obviously no one speaks like that. Um, no, I was going to say, um, ain't Oliver Twist. Yeah, I know. But that's what I, and I, you know, and I tried to push up my voice. I tried to, 
really fit in because I thought this was something to aspire to. And the thing is, I was always really academic. Even before I went there, I was already getting really good grades because I was just such a hard worker. Mm -hmm. But what I'll say is, so so that was in me from a young age. I'll say that there was a lot of boys there who just were deeply unimpressive intellectually who were getting into Oxbridge and just being, and given networks because there's so many old Etonian networks. I mean, I don't have any friends from that school now. Like Mm. I, so I don't even, and I, I've blocked all their emails, but, but I, um, you know, it's like these deeply unimpressive people get in to Oxbridge and then they leave Oxbridge and then they just get straight into these jobs because Eton has all these old networks where like another Etonian, you know, 10 years above you, who's working in government can get you working in their office as soon as you leave. So (sighs) And and you are told, told that you're better than the rest of the world there. You know, it's like, it's so weird in Windsor. It's like you're living in a time warp where like just across the bridge, there's like estate school and basically regular human beings walking around and, and like everyone in Eton is just walking around in tailcoats as if like it's above the rest of the world. And it's funny, there's so many boys that I see now from Eton who are like my age, who are just so, who haven't done that well, who just are miserable because they're doing sort of quote unquote regular jobs, which they're lucky enough to be doing. Um, But they're almost like, wait, I was told I was going to be like the Lord of the universe. And why am I just sort of your average Joe? And like, I think it actually really screws up a lot of people because they're, they, they're told they're really great and then they get into the world and they're, they're not. And, but, you know, I really think the school should be abolished. I mean, I had a horrific time there. It was racist. Um, it was just deeply unpleasant. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So in the book, you talk about a little fish. I keep saying in the book, I hate it because I always say that. I say it for podcast. In the book, I could, um, I must be able to find a better way of saying it than that. But you talk about, about a, in the text, in the text, in the in the text. <laughs> you, you, there's this fish. What you get called an anemone? Is that right? An anemone. An anemone. It's not a fish. It's an invertebrate. That's what it's I said. A, yeah. And on your anemone, the this little fish, what's a vertebrate? Then it's not a male. It's not a female. Yeah. What is it? Um, well, so an anemone is a sea invertebrate. That's that what I said. They li- yeah, no, it's exactly what you said. Um, and it's like a, it, it, people think they're corals, but alas, they're not corals, but oh they my. do look like corals. What a plot and twist. 
Yeah, no, I know that's a real sort of mic drop moment, isn't it? Alas not, Diane, alas not. Clownfish tend to live in them. It's a kind of symbiotic relationship. And when I was a teenager, around near the school that I was at, there was this marine aquatic shop that I became obsessed with. It was probably like my first, you know how like every child or teenager has that first obsession or hobby, whether it's like comic books or football or whatever. I just became kind of obsessed because there were so many different types of marine fish and coral and like they all had Latin names and I wanted to know about them more. And because I was trying to get away from home as much as possible, I ended up getting a weekend job there. I ended up getting a summer job there. I ended up working there after school. It was incredibly peaceful because I had already by that point such bad OCD and my brain was going at like a million times an hour but like there was something there's so tranquil about these marine aquariums because um it's like being in another universe I mean it mm. kind of is you know when people are so interested in aliens I'm like well just go to the ocean and look at an octopus it's oh, yeah. so strange um and they and they have different rules to us you know and a lot of them can change change sex at will you know clownfish when the male dies the female will just transition mm. um and and just, I find them incredibly queer, the ocean, and the fact that, like, if you look at an octopus, it can change color, size, shape. It's not limited by any kind of firm constructs. And so I ended up getting an aquarium at home um, uh, with my savings from the shop. And that was my pride and joy. Yeah, you became quite an aficionado, didn't you? <laughs> I quite actually did. Quite an but what's what, what's gorgeous about it, I think, is that and the way you talk about gender and the the construct of gender and all that. You know, I'm very interested in all that because I've down the flick in the eighties. That was where all those people at that time were discovering those boundaries, and and it's a big debate that's going on at the minute. It's a very interesting conversation, isn't it? And it's one that's getting into the mainstream a bit more at the minute. But again, mm. it's one of those things that people are resisting. Mm, yeah really bad really bad in the uk actually way worse than america the uk the uk is actually a lot more stuck than america for many reasons um i mean america has its huge share of problems but the left in america doesn't is not doesn't have um as major problems with transphobia as we have in the uk and i think if you just really think about brexit as a sign of it britain is still um holding on to a huge national myth of britain that goes all the way back to colonialism and the empire of sort of Britain as this like kind of ruling class, you know, this sort of the Jacob Rees Mogg's and and the kind of, you know, Britain is the epicenter of the world and English is the number one language of the world. And 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 when you go and if you look at colonialism, I mean colonialism was basically like the, the most pure form of white supremacy. I mean, it was literally like Britain's going into foreign countries exterminating all other religions and all indigenous cultures and trying to bring whiteness and britain britishness abroad um and uh so we brought racial supremacy abroad but what people don't really realize is that gender fluidity was a lot more present in places like india and in many arab countries before britain arrived and brought in colonial ideas of sex you know male and female so like yeah. the hijra community in south asia there was a peaceful third gender that lived there but when british colonialists arrived they made it illegal and it was recently still illegal in india and a lot of brits are like oh my god that's so regressive but it's like that's actually britain's fault and the point i'm making is britain 
as a society, we haven't actually done any colonial history. Yeah. And so um, that's why I think there's a lot of pushback because it's like people assume that trans people and people of color like myself are something new and that we're kind of chipping it away at, at, at um, British history. But that's really um, anachronistic because that's fundamentally unaware of what British history actually is. Yeah, exactly. We mon- like we went in and messed the waters up. Yes, and now totally. We're, we're sitting here and looking at it, going, "Oh my God!" Like the old way, the old ways changed, but the old way wasn't like that. We bleeding did it. Do you know what I we mean? We did it's it. Frustrating. We did it. Yeah, yeah. We corrupted it. Yeah. And now don't. And and it's like where, and but we don't teach it in history, right? The reason the American left is a bit better than the UK sort of liberal left where the transphobia is, is because they've they've done they've they've talked about slavery and it's part of the school curriculum. So mm. so like a lot of like in the UK, the Guardian, the Times, these kind of quote unquote liberal places, you know, they they happily talk about trans people as if they're this kind of strange new phenomenon that need to be but you just would never get that in a in a mainstream left publication in America. And the reason is um, America has done some work, in my opinion, at looking at slavery. And so the thinking there is a bit more intersectional. Whereas in the UK, I just don't, I mean, if you think about a lot of the people who are anti-trans, Sarah Dighton, for instance, I mean, she was writing that Rennie at her lodge was bad for feminism a few years ago because we shouldn't be bringing up race because, that will dilute the gender conversation. I think we still have quite a divide and rule. When we talk about gender, we just need to be talking about white women's bodies for now without anything else. And it just yeah. doesn't really work. Um, well, it's a bit like, a, they see it as like a bit like a tick box thing. It's like, yeah, we covered that. We covered that. Like in a school, when you talk about race, they think, oh, show the Roots DVD from 1974. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And like, let's have a Black History Week or month. And but it's not like connected. Tick. But it's not connected. It's not a whole... You know, it's got to be a, a whole curricular thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It can't just be a it can't just be a week on one thing. You know, but I think like the biggest sort of fallacy we've had recently, and this is what the Tories have really been pushing, is this idea of the white working class. Mm. And actually, the working class in Britain is really has a lot of black and brown immigrant voters who are all part of these and part of the Tory mythology of Brexit and the last election was to say we're here for the white working class, mm. but the working class is really diverse. Yeah. And totally. so like, so that's something that really worries me. I just think Britain, I mean, Brexit was just such a great indication of it. It's just had a huge national crisis. And unfortunately, trans people and people of color have been the scapegoat to say, these new people are changing what's so great about Britain. And what I find crazy with the transphobia is a lot of these cis feminists who always tend to be white and rich, can I just say, mm-hmm. um, the kind of transphobic policies that they want. So, for instance, no trans woman in a woman's changing room or, you know, no surgery. The only governments in the world that are implementing those kinds of policies are far right anti-woman's bodies governments, Hungary, Trump. Like that's where their politics are going. So it's like, how can you not see how dangerous this is? Yeah. Well, I think they they also have to write to an agenda, don't they? they have to write to their audience. I think that works a lot in this country as well. Like, oh, God, it's a kind of a bit of a dying, in, not a dying industry, don't get me wrong, but journalism 
you've mm. got to write for the audience now. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of yeah. them do that. That's why you get these people are so successful because they really, that's why I think everyone was a bit shocked with that Piers Morgan when he went a bit left wing. Everyone's yeah. like, oh well, my God. You know, that came when and went. Yeah, it did come and go, but you know, <laughs> he had a crack. <laughs> it's because it was popular, actually, because everyone yeah, was going. That's true. It's because everyone, because everyone in this country loves the NHS. Yeah, it's true. not political. To it was so easy for him to be like, "Help NHS workers." But it's funny, yeah. and I wonder in the industry because a lot of people I know who who don't identify as a certain gender and they work in our industry having a lot of trouble with people getting their heads around calling them by the right. And I mean, don't get me wrong, my agent Hazel, she's a pain in the backside. She <laughs> almost she punched a woman in the face in Butlins because she, she called her Mrs. <laughs> instead of Miss. Uh, she got ever so eggy about it. Oh, but my God, you try and have a conversation with her about trans rights. She'll have but a wall. She'll say, how are you supposed to be making me call someone like this and like this? I'm like, Hazel, you head butted a woman in Butlins. Do you know what I mean? What I'll say is I think one of the, also I think one of the um, fundamentally British things about transphobia is everything is treated as a liberal debate. I mean, the BBC are classic on this. It's like, mm. if we're going to talk about trans rights, let's have someone who doesn't believe in them and let's have someone who does believe in them and have a lovely liberal academic debate. And what I think has happened in this country is it's made trans people's lives this thing that you can just discuss as if it was an ideological proposition. And it's all seen as polite British society where we're all just having a conversation, but actually it's like, no one's lives should be up for debate. It's not an no. idea. Try, try. This is my main problem. Trans people aren't an ideology, and that's how they've been made to feel. Yeah, I also don't get feel like they get the opportunity to give, like, to sell themselves as people. Do you know what I mean? They're always on a debate or something. You never get to see why someone's a gorgeous, genuine, or funny, love, or lovely clever. person, or funny or clever. It's like, oh, we, you're on here to be angry about a debate. You're not on here to show us how gorgeous you are and what your hobbies are and what made you make the decisions and choices that made you the gorgeous person you are today. It's always like, oh, you're here to give us a shout and have an opposition. It's like yeah. that level of representation we don't have in this country. That's a problem, you know, and that's a that, problem that's... in the industry. That's I why I really wanted to write this book was to not do a debate and to also just revel in like the complexity and humor of my experiences. So that mm. like, because for me, humor is so, so, so important. That's why I like, I think it's the most accessible way to get someone who disagrees with you on your side is once mm. they laugh at some, and yeah. like, and I don't want to be shouting all the time. Yeah. And the UK as well. We're not, no matter what you say about the UK, they ain't, if they know someone, they'll give you they'll give you a minute. Do you know what I mean? They will. You forget That's we true. had Nadia, Nadia, one bleeding big brother. Can you believe that? Because she was funny I mean? and so lovable. Chain smoking, mouthy, gorgeous immigrant. Do you know what I mean? She one bleeding big brother. Well, that feels like a million years ago, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Feels like from another decade. But uh, I, I think it was. I think it was from another decade then. Oh, it probably was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know me and time. I'm like the Interstellar movie in here. It's all all manner. Of, all manner of galaxies going on in there, I'll tell you that. But it, do you know what I mean? It's like, we are understanding. You can't, and this is what people like Kate Hopkins and all those right-wing people, they like saying they ain't, and they're like making them seem like they're not. But they're, you know, you sit and have a chat with a gorgeous little person on a bus stop, and where they're from, if they're from an estate, if they like you and you give them the time of day, you'll get a connection there. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's why humour and comedy and performance and all that and, and, is where, and storytelling is where I like to be instead of these tv debates where you're just shouting because i think as soon as you tell a story that has humor and complexity and nuance 
you recognize someone's humanity and no matter your political opinions, you'll get, you can appreciate it. That's my favorite mm. thing, you know? Yeah, and, totally. And you, I mean, don't sh- ha- you don't have to shout about it. It comes out in the gorgeousness of the beautiful work you do and the beautiful work, all the people that we know and who are in our little scene, they all do that and it comes out and it's beautiful and it's like, well, and a lot of them, and I know you're one of them, and London Hughes, who we had on the last the podcast, she's gorgeous. She's like, I'm not going on those debates anymore. I'm not. Neither am it. I. Yeah, I'm, I know. I know do them. I'm. I'm not giving them the time bleeding day because I do my business. It's funny. Bugger you lot, basically, and your little <laughs> twisting, turning nastiness. It's the way it is. Now, mm-hmm. what's this thing you're doing? This thing called the Watch, the Terry oh, Pratchett yeah. thing. Can you talk about that, or is it? It's a BBC drama. Are you a Pratchett fan? Not, not. I wouldn't say I'm a. I look at the covers and they've got all them goblins on it. I'm like, I'm all right. I'll leave it. Do you know what I mean? I, I've seen a goblin. I'm over it. Um, so what it is is it's not my series, but B- B- BBC America have commissioned a, a writer called Simon Allen to do a sort of adaptation of these Discworld books, of which there are fifty. But oh, yeah. rather than a kind of completely faithful adaptation which is really hard to do because there's so many books and, and they're kind of dated in many ways, to kind of do a completely new interpretation of the books with the characters in the world. And there's a lot of, I mean, sci-fi and fantasy has a lot of queer potential because you can essentially just imagine new universes and new mm. um, kind of creatures and beings. And so, and you know, I do a lot of screenwriting. And so it came to me because I think the writer had read some of my script, but also had seen some of my stuff on quantum physics and which I'm really interested in. Oh, and so, so and so, um, and there's a character in the books who you could read as trans, but it's not entirely clear. So um, I was brought on as a writer for one of the episodes looking at that character's journey. And I can't kind of say more than that, but I, it's really leaning into quantum physics as a kind of metaphor for gender. And I, mean, I think it's coming out in January 2021. Oh, that's exciting. I love the sound of that. It's giving me a little goose pimple, that has. Oh, is it? Um, it has. Just one. Oh, but it's um, there just, and it's getting bigger. Where is it? Where's the goose pimple? I can't tell you. You could probably <laughs> just put it this way. Milky can see it. It's so beautiful. No, don't. Don't go there. <laughs> Do you know what, Amru? What a gorgeous conversation it's been with you. I've absolutely adored it. You know, I want you to look after yourself because I know you're out there, like I said before, fighting the good fight. and. I'm here for you because I love what you do and I'm a big, a big supporter of that. And I want you to know that it's not going on appreciated. Do you know what I mean? Because I know you're out Aww. there swinging the punches and I'll be there with a little flannel to, to tamper down that head. And I want you to know I adore you and we're so grateful. We're such huge fans and thank you for everything you do is what I wanted to say. No, and thank you for being such a warm mother of the queer community. Oh. I love you. Oh, gorgeous. All right then, my beautiful babe. Bye, babe. Bye. So good to see you guys. I couldn't not do Duchess as the song for this podcast with me beautiful Amaru. Just hearing about their mum in the book, getting a welder in to fix the necklace. Oh my God, I love all that I do. And there ain't no doubt that woman's a bleeding Duchess. And I get people messaging me all the time saying, Diane, I wish it was a Duchess just like you. I get Pauline Quirk leaving me messages saying, Diane, will you come down and do a little class at the Pauline Quirk Academy about how to become a Duchess? I said, Pauline. Have you not listened to your answer machine message I left on your gift card phone? Have you not? Because I told you, being a Duchess ain't something you can teach. You ain't going to learn how to be the Duchess. It's a state of mind. It ain't a divine right. It's about realising you're the tastiest fruit in the bowl. 
the world to box the quality streets and you're the tasty purple one. The only person that can crown you the Duchess is you. Every bugger out there is telling you you're not good enough. You're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too gay, you're too straight, too left ring, right ring, too bleeding chicken wing. you got to ignore all that. you got to dig a little deep and you'll find that juicy little bleeding gorgeous funk. You might have lost it, but it's right down there. Might be in your little toe, might be trapped in a flappy black sack. But let me tell you, you've got it. A duchess only answers to herself and no bugger else. It's the woman what's at the back of the bus using a sheepie to funnel a lambrisco into an empty Sunny D bottle. Her friends are saying, Sheila, Sheila, you're getting it on me toe. And she's saying, I couldn't care less. You think I'm paying £6.50 for a vodka and Red Bull and I'll get in there out of your bleeding mind. I'm going sky high tonight and ain't nothing stopping me. I'm on a budget, Sharon, and I ain't afraid to use it. It's a 90-year-old woman on a mobility scooter wearing a boob tube and she's just on a drive-by squeezing your boyfriend's bum. And as she turns round, she raises you the little finger and gives you a wink so deep you can feel it in Romford. It's the fella who's got the tiniest bleeding front garden in the whole of the council estate, yet he's got a wall of feature so big it wouldn't look out of place in Disneyland Paris. It's the little girl at the nativity play who wants to be dressed as the Incredible Hulk when she's the mother of Jesus. It's the tube conductor what says things like, Hold on to your cream horns, because we're pulling out of embankment like a bat out of bleeding hell. You know who else is a duchess? You, my gorgeous little bleeding listener. You're the best duchess there is. So get out there and give the world your love, because don't forget, I've got the funk, you've got the funk, and we've all got the bleeding funk. I love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Goodbye. If you want to smell what's cooking, you better press my buttons. Cause I'm the queen of the estuary. Camps the church and this is a hymn. I don't need no chaperone. Drop it to funky on a mobile home. If this is a man's world, I go it alone. I come on. I am the Duchess. Duchess. Dagenham Dog to the Isle of Dogs The Land's End to the Scots up top Love the Duchess And I've drank Chateau Nerve de Pap But I prefer my water from the tap I'm the Duchess I've seen it all And I've done it all I am the Duchess I've lost it all my buttons, cause I'm the queen of the estuary, camps the church and this is a hymn, I don't need no chaperone, drunk it to funky on a mobile home, if this is a man's world I go it alone, I come on, I am the Duchess, Duchess.
crowd that they're wanting more of the Duchess. And move your hips, do the Tilbury twist. Aron can't dance, he slipped to disc. Duchess. If you want to smell what's cooking, you better press my buttons. Cos I'm the queen of the estuary. I came to church and this is the hymn. I don't need no chaperone. Judith Chalmers, Victoria Wood, Ainsley Harriet, a French and Saunders, a Tony Slattery, a Nigel Hayes. Thanks to my incredible guest, Amru Al Caddy. This has been Chatting with Chorley, the podcast written by me, Diane Chorley. The beautiful music is written by myself and the beautiful Milky. The show is produced by, oh my goodness me, the amazing Chris Jones. And this is a hat trick podcast. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.